0: This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show. Where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Russia. One, all, all, make, no mistake, America, ready, are a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate.
1: Former CIA
0: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It
1: is Buck
2: Sexton. Now,
3: welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. You've probably already guessed. I am not Buck Sexton. My name is Raheem Kassam. I am filling in for Buck today, broadcasting live out of the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C., a slushy, slimy, gross and rainy Washington, D.C. A very good evening or good afternoon to all of you out there. We have a very great show for you today. Breaches on the Border, just uh, just a couple of days after CNN's Jim Acosta, remember, was lecturing the President of the United States in a press conference, saying they're not jumping over the borders, they're thousands of miles away. Meanwhile, border security has nabbed 650 migrants just two hours outside. We've seen video of people jumping over uh, fences, and being apprehended by border security. We've got a lot of things to discuss today. It's been a busy day all around the world, and I'm glad to say we have some of the best experts from around the world to talk about the, new, the very busy news cycle of the day. One of the things that I've been focusing on has been Brexit, of course. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I was the former senior advisor to Mr. Brexit himself, Nigel Farage, and because it's very late in the evening in, uh, in the United Kingdom and so much has been going on there, we're going to start the show on that. I know Brexit means a lot to a lot of you guys out there here in the United States as well. I know you all know what happened on that June 23rd in 2016, just a few months before you elected President Trump as the outsider candidate. We did something quite outlandish too, which was voting to leave 17.5 million people, the largest ever showing for one side in a national election, voted to leave the European Union. We said we've had enough of the bureaucrats, of the commissioners, of the lack of democracy. We've had enough of paying billions upon billions of our finest English pounds into the coffers of an organization that wants its own military force now. That tells us what 80% of our primary legislation and our regulations look like. Does it sound familiar to you, ladies and gentlemen? Doesn't it sound just like what Hillary Clinton was talking about a few years ago when she called the Trans Pacific Partnership Deal and the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership Deal replete with its commissioners and unaccountable? civil servants. She called it the gold standard of trade deals. Well, I'll tell you what. Thank goodness President Trump won, because you'd be entering your own sort of European Union-style trade organization right now, just at the moment that we're trying to get out. But what happened in the UK today was quite extraordinary. One of the most critical things to happen since that June 23rd vote, the Prime Minister... A remainer, somebody who wanted us to stay in the European Union. She announced the deal that she had done with the EU today, and it is no such thing like leaving, let me tell you. The United Kingdom would remain under the European Court of Justice purview. We'd end up paying 40 billion pounds into their pot again. We'd have no control over our borders. We'd have no control over our trade deals. That. that thing that president trump said remember he said after obama said britain will go to the back of the queue for a trade deal he said no britain will go to the front of the queue for a trade deal the front of the line for a trade deal and that's off the table under this deal proposed by theresa may the prime minister that would no longer happen because we'd still be within the confines of the eu's laws of the eu's trade agreements And it's unacceptable. It's so unacceptable that today you had five cabinet ministers resign in one day. Can you imagine if five cabinet ministers resigned from President Trump's cabinet in one day? I mean, Jim Acosta would be running around the White House, or rather, outside the White House, running around like a headless chicken, saying, this president must go, this president no longer has the confidence of his own government, his own administration. Well, in a sense, that's true of Theresa May. But she indicated this afternoon that she has no intention to go. Instead, she intends to continue on with this horrific deal that she struck with the European Union. I want to check uh, if we've got our first guest on the line. We're waiting for uh, a, good f- a good friend of mine. He's going to be joining us hopefully in the next few minutes. His name is Ben Harris-Quinney. He's the chairman of the oldest conservative think tank in the United Kingdom. and He's just finished speaking at Oxford University. Uh, where he had taken over a slot for Graham Brady. Now, let me tell you about Graham Brady. And I understand this sounds like sort of insular foreign politics to you guys, but we share the same thing right now in our sort of rebellious uh, takeovers of the establishment, the drainings of the swamps across the Atlantic. I'll tell you why this guy Graham Brady is important. He's a member of parliament. And if... The Conservative Party, which is the party of government in the UK, if they want to lose Theresa May as Prime Minister, which I suggest they should, then Graham Brady is the one they have to write to. He's the head of the 1922 committee. And if he gets 48 letters that say we want her gone from 48 Conservative members of Parliament, then there has to be a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. And the rumour is that uh, they're awfully close getting there. So, uh, you know, the UK on tenterhooks at the moment, not really knowing where it's going. The market's obviously responding in kind, uh, the pound dropping stocks dropping, uh, and all because our rubbish, rubbish prime minister who shouldn't have even been there in the first place because Brexit won and the conservative party put a remainer, a non lever into number 10 Downing street. This is all on her. So, there, there we have it. We're waiting for uh, our first guest, but in the meantime, we'll also, be, uh, we'll also be taking some of your calls over the course of this program. Um, I want to make sure that you guys are uh, getting your views across on all sorts of things that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Eric Metaxas, uh, the author of a brand new book, Donald Drains the Swamp. He'll be joining us a little bit later in this hour uh, Jessica Vaughan uh, from the Centre of Immigration Studies was joining us to talk about this migrant caravan that we were told was not a thing, was not going to happen. Uh, that they uh, that they were not. In fact, in fact, why don't we? Can we? Can we play that clip of Jim Acosta from a couple of days ago? Clip number three. Uh, the but your campaign hat. had. But your campaign had an ad showing
4: migrants climbing over walls and well, that's so on. True. It, for, it, but they it, weren't actors. They're not going to be doing they that. They
5: weren't actors. Well, no, it's true. Do you think they were actors? Uh, they weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. Right. These <laughs> were these were people. This was an actual, you know, it happened a few days ago. And, uh,
4: they're hundreds of miles away, though. They're hundreds and hundreds of
5: miles away. That, that's not an invasion. Should, honestly, uh, I think you should let me run the country.
3: It's not going to happen. They're not going to be doing that. The words of CNN's Jim Acosta, who I suppose presumed he had some sort of uh, I don't know, premonition. Did it come to him in a dream the, the migrants were not going to be climbing over the border? We've seen it going on. We saw the footage come out yesterday. Oh, and don't think, uh, don't think just because we're focused on the news cycle of the moment that we're going to forget about what came out last night, right? Did you all pay attention? Were you all looking at your cellular devices when the breaking news came out that Michael Avenatti, the creepy porn lawyer, was uh, arrested by the LAPD after the allegation that uh, he had beat or punched uh, his wife, Michael Avenatti. And the reason I segue into Michael Avenatti is because... You have Jim Acosta of CNN who's lecturing the president last week uh, putting his hands on a White House intern. Now you can argue one way or the other that you know he wasn't aggressive with it or it wasn't a firm enough gesture for you or whatever the excuses that they're coming up with but he put his hand on a young female intern in the White House and on the flip side, I mean, who's, who's CNN's favorite guest right now? Who has CNN been pumping up for the last few months? Every night, every show. Michael Avenatti, the expert in sexual harassment. He had claims about Brett Kavanaugh. He had claims about Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Michael Avenatti himself... A man who just a few weeks ago took to Twitter to body shame a conservative female journalist Laura Loomer, tweeting a picture of her that I guess he thought was less than flattering. This is the guy who CNN's held up, and he was arrested last night, and we're going to find out. He, re- he maintains that he's innocent. There is, a, there is a hole to do about that. Lots to think about there. It just strikes me that there is so much in the way of, I guess what the psychoanalysts call projection from the left, right? Every time they point the fingers about something. And I was watching CNN today, and they were laughing. They were laughing because Matt Gaetz down in Florida said uh, that the voter fraud that he believes may be taking place down there is a sort of a dress rehearsal, a warm-up act for the 2020 election cycle. And the CNN anchors and the guests are slapping each other on the backs and laughing. They got a conspiracy theory. Remember, these are the guys who, for the last two years plus, have been saying, yeah, these Russian-like Facebook bots, they colluded with the Trump Tower folks, and they forced Americans to the ballot box with a, I don't know, a Kalashnikov to the head and forced them to vote for Donald Trump for president. Without evidence. There's been no collusion evidence. There's been nothing. This investigation that's gone on for, what, two years and cost, I don't know, $40 million, I think I saw. This Mueller probe, which Trump took to Twitter again to lambast today. But these guys will laugh at Matt Gates for saying, hold on a second, how come Broward County and Palm Beach County take a week plus to count their votes? How come we're going to hand recounts now? This is the stuff that doesn't even happen in third world countries. In, 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 in places where you still dip your finger in ink to vote, there are places around the world that haven't had the democratic process for very long. And this stuff doesn't happen there. But it happens in Democrat-controlled districts really quite a lot, doesn't it? We're going to be talking to uh, Eric Egers. He's the author of a new book called Fraud. He'll be joining us a little bit later as well. I'm pleased to say that we'll also be joined by two of uh, One American News, one of the better cable news channels out there. Uh, Two of their folks later on in the show, Charles Herring, who's the president of the organization. Uh, We're going to talk to him about how One America is the only news outlet at the moment that is in opposition to CNN in its case against the White House. For Jim Acosta's hard pass being revoked and Jim Acosta being banned. Even Fox News, which I like. I have friends who are Fox News hosts and anchors. Lots of them, in fact. But even Fox News, I think, are taking Jim Acosta's side in all of this. And We'll also talk to Gabrielle Cucciella. She's been down in Florida for OAN, and she's going to tell us what uh, what she's seen over the last couple of um, last couple of well, the last week there. In the meantime, this is uh, Raheem Kassam on the Buck Sexton Show, broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut. I think we're going to take a a quick break now, and hopefully, when we come back, we'll have. Uh, Ben Harris-Quinney, who is uh, the chairman of the Bo Group, the UK's oldest conservative think tank, can tell us a little bit more about what's going with that that Brexit vote. But stay tuned right here uh, to the Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. In the midst of all the
4: whining coming from the left, I mean, it's just crazy these days, right? They're chasing people out of restaurants, yelling at you in the coffee shop, acting like a bunch of maniacs. You have to wonder, why in the world would anyone act this way? My guess is they're just not getting their daily dose of Black Rifle coffee. I drink Black Rifle every morning. In fact, it's such delicious coffee that I'm usually a guy that likes a little con leche in my coffee. But guess what? I drink it black because it's Black Rifle for one. And also, this is delicious small batch roast to order coffee. All right. I am a for Smooth Blend guy, but their entire catalog of different beans and blends is amazing. Black Rifle is roast to order and is guaranteed fresh right to your door. Nothing cures a bad attitude like starting your day with the most American coffee ever. Black Rifle Coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com/buck. Receive fifteen percent off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com/buck for fifteen percent off. blackriflecoffee.com/buck
6: This
1: is an individual that lies on a consistent basis. If it was up to me, which it's not, I would indict the president. I'm going to put Donald Trump on trial. I think the president will not serve out his term. Are you trying to win a case or take down a president? This is a search for the truth. This president has had his eye off the ball now, uh, basically from day one. I, mean, I don't think the president wants to sit across the conference room table from me and answer questions under oath, but if he does, perhaps we can do it this afternoon. You are something of a folk hero now. Well. Wait until we actually accomplish something in the coming months.
3: Welcome back to the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton this cold, icy, slushy, snowy Thursday evening here in Washington, D.C. That was, I suppose, the Michael Avenatti Supercut. A folk hero, said Bill Maher. That was Bill Maher's voice, I think. A folk hero. Michael Avenatti, the attorney for porn star Stormy Daniels, and as NBC News describes him, one of President Donald Trump's chief antagonists, arrested on suspicion of felony domestic abuse. The uh, LAPD, I believe, confirmed in a tweet yesterday evening. This is the person who's been held up for us for a very to us for a very long time now. Remember. Michael Avenatti was beyond reproach," he said. "Which women we had to believe, so we had to believe those women. Well, you know what? I think, I think, that I am going to start believing all women now. I'm going to start with Michael Avenatti's wife. That's where we should start now. Let's let's give him the benefit of the let's give his argument the benefit of the doubt, right? Now, our side, my side, I'm a conservative. We believe in due process. Michael Avenatti doesn't believe in due process. He's made it very clear that Brett Kavanaugh shouldn't have been on the Supreme Court because there were unfounded accusations and allegations against him. No due process. Very little evidence. I don't think there was even any evidence, barring the curious testimony of a childlike professor. But, uh... Now, suddenly, suddenly, Avenatti's saying, "Uh, no, 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 you know, we'll wait for this process to, you know, play out. I'll I'll prove my innocence. No, 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 no. You didn't want due process. You don't get due process. Remember, Michael Avenatti is somebody who, for the last few weeks, maybe a little bit longer, has not just been flirting with uh, running for president, against Donald Trump in 2020, he's been outright making out with it and groping it on the dance floor. This is not a mild flirtation with his wish to be the president of the United States. He has gone full pelt telling people on whether I think it was TMZ at at Politicon, this big political conference out in uh, California, telling them that that's what he wanted to do. And while I have to say, to the credit of the Democrats, they haven't really um, warmed to him in that regard, um, a lot of people out there were saying, yeah, you know, he has got a good chance, he can fundraise, he can beat them in the 46-person primary that they're probably going to have next year. Well, well, look what's happening now. Arrested Wednesday on suspicion of domestic violence. We will see how it plays out, ladies and gentlemen, and we do believe in due process, But isn't it funny? The projection from the left continues. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton here in a uh, grotesque Washington, D.C. And more more grotesque than usual is what I mean. Heavy snow. I say heavy snow. A lot of snow overnight. I'm, obsessed. I'm English. I'm obsessed with the weather. You're going to have to forgive me. I used to do this all the time uh, when I hosted another, another radio show. I just ended up talking about the weather for the first few years. It's, it's in our blood. For some reason, when an Englishman starts talking, it's one of the first things he does It starts talking about the weather. The lines here are open, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. I want to hear... ...from as many of you out there as possible today. If you've got a uh, take on the things we've already discussed in this hour, it's uh, obviously Michael Avenatti. We've touched on the migrant caravans and Jim Acosta. We've been talking a little bit about Brexit and what happened in the United Kingdom today with those mass resignations from Theresa May's cabinet. Right now, I want to welcome a uh, special guest. Eric Metaxas is a New York Times uh, best-selling author... Uh, radio host himself, in fact, uh, interviewed me on the Eric Metaxas show uh, last year. And now the shoe's on the other foot, Eric. Welcome to the show.
0: <laughs> yes, I did. And uh, thank you for having me. I, I'd i like to talk about something very happy. Because all those other things, there's a frisson, an undercurrent of unpleasantness to some of the news, as you know. Uh, and uh, the, the reason, of course, I'm on the program is to talk about my happy new children's book, Donald Drains the Swamp.
3: Exactly that. Donald
0: Drains the Swamp may refer to a certain Donald, and the swamp certainly refers to the horrible D.C. swamp to which you were earlier referring, but it's a happy book because Donald, in fact, does train the swamp, and it's, uh, it's mainly for kids, but actually... I can't even say that. Mostly, adults are buying it because there's a lot of adult humor in it. It's a children's book, but there's enough humor for adults that they're finding it uh, worth getting.
3: Yeah, you don't mean adult humor as in that it's not suitable for kids, but you mean that it's it's sort of like uh, one of those animations, right? Where where you know it's it's good for yeah. both audiences. I've well, got I've yeah, got my copy course. at home.
0: When I when I say adult humor, what I mean is that. When you see the the biggest swamp creature of all is a dinosaur called the Georgeosaurus,
7: <laughs> And
0: that's not the kind of thing that little kids are going to get. They're just going to see a big, nasty swamp creature called the Georgeosaurus. But, of course, we understand that it's a Hungarian dinosaur <laughs> who has billions of dollars and worships the devil. Other than that, it's perfectly right for kids. No, but it's kind of a funny thing because there's a lot of that stuff. The swamp creatures resemble uh, one of them has half glasses and cries a lot. Maybe he's a senator from New York-type dinosaur. I don't know. Uh, there's all, it's a bipartisan swamp, Raheem. So uh, there's also a, a turtle. And as we know, just because of the wonders of nature, most tur- turtles, uh, whether they mean to or don't, end up looking somewhat like the Senate majority leader. Things like that are in the book. But you, you just have to be an adult to appreciate them. But on a kid's level, kids love the book because it's a story about a caveman named Donald who drains the swamp and who restores freedom, or who rather who brings freedom to these people who'd been governed by a bloated bureaucracy and a mm. king who's decidedly out of touch with things.
3: Now, it's it, look, it seems perfectly timed to me. Of course, a lot of these things are intentionally done so. But you know, Christmas is coming up, and it's a uh you know i would say one of those great uh, one of those great stocking fillers uh it it certainly certainly brought brought a smile to my face when i got my uh, got my copy uh the other week from our kinder uh, colleagues at uh, at regnery publishing um but but let, let me ask you this there are a lot of and and stocked to the you know right up to the gunnels um left wing children's books out there you know that yeah. are that are placed in schools in libraries uh, that are designed to sort of indoctrinate or design to to kill that's
0: This is a big thing for me. I've written 30 children's books. People don't know this. They think of me as a radio host or as the author of Bonhoeffer or Luther or some Mm -hmm. big books. I've written 30 kids' books. I was a writer for Veggie Tales. I've written a ton of humor. I was the editor of the Yale Humor magazine back when I was in college. And so I think that our side, which is to say the conservatives, rarely create cultural objects. We talk a lot specifically about politics um, or maybe theology, but to create cultural objects, usually the left is what does that. Mm -hmm. And right now you have this spate of nasty left-wing anti-Trump books masquerading as children's books. They are, in fact, it's nasty. You wouldn't give them to a kid. This is a real book. It's obviously pro-Trump, but it's innocent. It's not nasty. Mm. Uh, and so, so it really is intended for, for kids. And at the end of the story, uh, they learn about self-government because they, they want to make Donald the king, the new king, after the king chases the money out of the swamp to the horizon. Once they've drained the swamp, they say, maybe you'll be our new king. And just like George Washington, he says, no, no, no. He says, you are a free people now. A king tells people what to do. But if free people tells their leaders what to do, and the leaders must do it. And they say, oh, you mean like a president? And he says, yes, and if that's what you're looking for, I'm your caveman. So we've got these uh, buttons uh, printed up that say, he's my caveman. It's sort of a fun way of owning the caveman quality uh, of our commander-in-chief. He gets things done. He knows how to how to build a wall. He knows how to drain a swamp, dig a trench that's bigger and better than any trench ever been dug. And he really he does know how to get things done, and it's um, you know it's the antithesis of Obama, who seemed to dither and wring his hands in a Hamlet-like fashion, and really not confront evil or do anything that, that needed uh, doing, and sort of said we can we can talk about it forever. Well, thank the Lord uh, he didn't talk about it forever. He was voted out, and we have a president who's actually taking some action. So this is a way of celebrating that. But I do think it's it's fun enough. That you could even give it as a as a gag gift to somebody who doesn't like Trump, exactly. unless they're really really nasty, they will definitely laugh. I mean, everybody says that they're finding it funny. There's a lot of slight humor. There's there's a bird, a blue bird that uh, that flits in and out, looks a little bit like a Twitter bird. So there's a <laughs> lot of subtle jokes for adults uh,
3: throughout. Yeah, no, I have uh, I have my copy, and I, I thought it was. Um, I thought It was very humorous. I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't gone through all of it and studied it and, and studied the, uh, the, the, the drawings in detail to figure out who every single character is. Well, um,
0: that's, the, that's the key. In fact, the, the orange creature, uh, there's an orange creature in there, and the illustrator told a friend of mine, didn't even tell me. This is my dear friend, the illustrator, hmm. told another friend that the orange triceratops uh, is meant to be John Brennan. So what can I tell you? I don't know what if people will discover other things. But, yeah, there's all these nasty swamp creatures. And, of course, they don't want to live this, leave the swamp because the swamp is made of money. Why would they leave? So there's nothing to do except drain the swamp. And Donald uh, shows the kind of leadership to get it done. It's uh, As I say, it's a, it's a happy book. We're actually building a Donald the Caveman plush so people can get a plush doll. Uh, and also Mike Lindell of My Pillow is creating a uh, – a Donald the Caveman pillow. A Donald drains the swamp pillow. Oh, that's hilarious! So it's kind of, so this is not going away anytime soon.
3: Well, I got to tell you, I I did not get ever get a free my pillow, and I've never been paid to advertise my pillows. But I got to tell you, Mike Lindell changed my life. FYI, uh, I, don't, I don't I don't know those those things. Those things are awesome. Uh, oh, your you your the pillow changed your life, not I, Mike Lindell personally. No, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, you've got uh, Tim Tim Raglin as your illustrator on this book. Award-winning illustrator has done many oh my many gosh. books himself.
0: He's brilliant. I mean, look, yeah. I, I I knew he had to do it. He and I have done many books together. But mm. he's the one that convinced me to take a serious look at Trump back in the in the early primaries when I was not sold on Trump. He's the mm. one that insisted. He says this guy's a folk hero. You need to to, to watch him at these rallies. And I finally understood he's like a tall-tail figure. He's a folk hero. Hmm. Donald uh, Trump is a larger-than-life folk hero for such a time as this in America. And so this book is meant to celebrate that aspect of him. That's why he's a caveman. Of course, everybody in the book is either a caveman or a dinosaur. But uh, he really is kind of like a larger-than-life, get-it-done folk hero. And I think that's why he's so beloved and so hated on the other side.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Eric Metaxas, the author of uh, Donald Drains the Swamp. I, I am very I'm very pleased that this occurs, because like you said, you know, we can often on our side, you know, just focus on the bad, just focus on the negative, just focus on the, the, the politics. Uh, and actually, culturally, we get beat around the head all over the shop, whether it's in you know, Hollywood or in Manhattan bookstores. Um, packed to the gunnels, full of full of left wing stuff. So I'm so glad hey, they've done this. By the way, if people
0: go into a bookstore, good luck finding this book. I-, I hope you'll ask the manager, "Do you have a copy?" And if not, why don't you? It's been in the Amazon mm-hmm. top 100. Uh, it continues to do well. You know, I'm going to be doing TV. They don't have it. It's an astounding thing, obviously, because there's bias. So I think people need to say to Barnes & Noble managers and so on, you need to have this in the store. I would have bought five copies. And, you know, at the price they're charging, people are buying five copies, you know, for Christmas or for the grandkids or whatever. And so mm-hmm. it's scandalous to me that we live in a day and age when vast stores like Barnes & Noble don't carry the book. I mean, obviously, half of the country loves this president and would be interested in that.
3: Yeah, no, it was, it was, Eric, it was exactly the same thing uh, uh, when my book came out in 2017, no-go zones, um, and, and people were asking me, you know, I've looked in my bookstore, I can't get it, they said they can order it in, but that'll take two weeks, so yeah. a lot of people ended up ordering it on Amazon, which of course you yeah. can get Donald Drains the Swamp on Amazon, but yeah. and then on the other hand, a lot of people don't want to shop at Amazon for obvious reasons.
0: Right. Right. Well, better better to buy this at Amazon than to let Stephen Colbert's book be number one forever. <laughs> That's my theory.
3: I agree with that, Eric Metaxas. Thank you for taking the time out this evening to bring a little bit of joy to us. Uh, as you say, it can get a little bit draining and serious. So I'm really glad you've done. Donald drains the swamp, uh, and that you can bring a smile to our faces this evening.
0: Thank you so much, Raheem. God bless you. Look forward to the next time.
3: Thank you. That is Eric Metaxas. Make sure you pick up a copy of Donald Drains the Swamp. It's a great Christmas present. I will be buying it for several people in my life. Several who like President Trump and several who don't. Uh, I am Raheem Kassam. This is the Buck Sexton Show on Thursday, the 15th of November, 2018. The snow has hit the East Coast and caused all sorts of misery and problems. But I hear the sun is coming back out tomorrow. The phone lines are open here for you guys. It's uh, 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. So why don't you give me a jingle here in the Freedom Hut. Keep me company this evening. We can talk, obviously talk about Michael Avenatti, obviously talk about Jim Acosta and his big claim that the migrants were not jumping the borders. And they actually are. And we've got video of it. And it's online right now. It's been shown on news sites. It's been shown all over Twitter over the course of today. And um, I also want to talk to you a little bit. And I'll intro this a little bit right now. And uh do a little bit more in the next uh, segment after the next break, but I had a uh, an article that I wrote uh, in the Daily Caller yesterday. Um, the headline of it was um, "Trump understands the important difference between nationalism and globalism," and and it went pretty pretty darn viral uh, over the course of the last 24 hours. Uh, and I think the reason it did is not just because President Emmanuel Macron of France chose a somber ceremony of the armistice commemorations to attack President Trump and to attack um, nationalism, Uh, but also because a lot of people don't quite understand the concept or they understand it at a a farcical, ethno, white, nationalist, racist, xenophobe, homophobe, Islamophobe. I'm quoting Hillary Clinton now. Um, At that level, they don't actually know the history or philosophy of nationalism and they certainly don't know that it was actually globalism or rather its root philosophy of imperialism that was really to blame for the great wars of the 20th century so yes back to serious topics we'll do more of it after this break this is the buck sexton show i'm Raheem kassam we'll be right back welcome back to the buck sexton show this is rahim kassam filling in for the great buck sexton here from the freedom hut in washington dc Florida Senate counts is heading to a hand recount. Gosh, what is in the water down there in Broward County? Let me ask you that. I want to take some more calls, so uh, get on the line. 844-900-2825, 900 844-900. Buck, uh, I think we have uh, Skippy in Boston on the line. I want to bring Skippy in Boston in if uh, if we can Hello. connect there. Hey, Skippy, how you doing?
8: How are you, Raheem? Listen, Welcome to I hope the you don't mind I have a comment about uh, Mr. Abinetti's statement after he I don't know if he was it was just after from being bailed or what. And, and I was amazed when he sat He says, I'm going to be brief and succinct. Well, when you were brief you were already being succinct, so you shouldn't have <laughs> repetitions. But but I, when he said the statement my my you know the alarm clock went off in my head when I heard him say, I've never hit a woman. I will never hit a woman. I just thought, uh, wait a minute, 24 hours ago, there was multiple reports when he was being arrested. Uh, there was reports of him shouting, but she hit me first. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if she hit me first, that has to mean he hit her second, which kills his statement of, I have never hit a woman.
3: Well, that's right. I mean, the and we have to obviously be fair and careful with this. The, the allegations are still allegations, but the witness report suggested that at the time, uh, he had said something along the lines of, She hit me first. And then, as you're right to say, Skippy, he's, his statement says, uh, I have never struck a woman. I will never strike a woman. I have been an advocate for women's rights my entire career, and I'm going to continue to be an advocate. Now, something, uh, apart from that, Skippy, something strange strikes me about that attitude. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you know this uh, conservative journalist, Laura Loomer, independent investigative journalist. Um, He tweeted, Michael Avenatti tweeted a very unflattering picture of her. And the intent of that picture was obviously to, I suppose, what the left would call body shame her. Right. Make make fun of her appearance. Um, So so firstly, that doesn't sound like particularly like being an advocate to me, it also doesn't seem like you're much of an advocate for women's rights. And you tell me if I'm wrong or right on this, Gibby. If you're presenting people to the public whose allegations are so false that they end up disbelieving women in the long haul. What do you think? That's right. It just shows he was, uh,
8: he, he was just moving in. He's trying to make a name for himself and trying to make mostly, make some money. And can I ask you something else? Who is the fellow that was up in Minnesota who just became uh, attorney general? He was accused of beating his wife or girlfriend. You know the guy I'm talking about. Was it there's, Minnesota or there's
3: there's a lot of it going on out there, Skippy. Unfortunately, we're up against a hard break. But I thank you for your call. I will uh, I will follow up on your question momentarily. In the meantime, this is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We're going to be back after this break. Dozens of people gathered on the south
4: side. Some climbed the barrier and sat on it. Others walked the structure while Border Patrol agents kept an eye on the crowd. This man dressed in red and white jumping onto U.S. soil. That person and others who did come across ran back when Border Patrol agents approached. It's not known for certain who these people are. The Border Patrol said it believes some could be from that caravan that has been making its way through mexico from honduras
3: that's the latest situation at the border i'm Raheem kassam this is the buck sexton show going to be discussing this issue now with another one of our fantastic guests from the center for immigration studies uh we have their director of policy studies jessica m vaughan joining us on the line jessica thank you and welcome to the buck sexton show glad to be with you so um, I was of the belief, Jessica, that because that, I get all of my news from Jim Acosta and and I listen to his every word and I hang on it and everything he says is obviously true. And when he got up last week in the White House and said these people are not at the border, they're nowhere near, they're thousands of miles away. And even when they are going to get to the border, they're not going to try and climb over fences what happened i i can't believe that jim acosta was wrong
2: (laughs) well yeah um he he was like so many in the news media reporting without having actually seen what was going on and uh without any kind of um experience nuance uh or you know talking to real experts in the field um of course Uh, The the caravan was going to get here quickly. Uh, They got rides. In fact, I think some probably got here even earlier than today, the ones who peeled off and went with smugglers. And obviously they're not all peacefully seeking asylum, as the president suggested, through the legal ports of entry. They're not all starving uh, mothers and children. Uh, They are here to try to get into the United States, and the organizers are trying to make a political point for open borders, um, I, I can't say they're particularly brave either. Hearing about the one who uh, jumped down <laughs> to the beach and then ran away when he saw the border patrol, I'm surprised he didn't try to claim asylum as the lawyers suggested they do. Although I guess he he, he wouldn't be successful because he was entering illegally. But it is pretty interesting. There are um, many, many young men the classic kind of people who are trying to enter illegally all these years, but who have been um, uh, sharing the stage now with people coming with kids. So, I mean, this is a, an adventure and an opportunity for a lot of these people. They're not fleeing persecution. If they were, they would have uh, looked for safe haven in Mexico. They're, mm. they're here to try to get in because they think they can get away with it.
3: Yeah, and I must say um, the Center for Immigration Studies uh, on the website you have a uh, you have a migrant caravan uh, uh map uh describing yeah. the location uh, uh you know cuz you, you actually don't see this very much very often um on the uh, on the news media um especially not some certain channels um and it was it was clear to me a couple of a uh, couple of weeks ago when i started doing my own research into this and finding out just how far back this sort of trajectory and history um, of this sort of long-term undermining of U.S. border sovereignty, how far back it stretches and how far back some of these halfway houses go and who they're funded by historically, it was obvious to me, uh, and it sounds like it was obvious to you, uh, that this was going to arrive. At least a couple of hundred, several hundred, um, if not more, were going to arrive very soon. It's why I actually did scratch my head a little bit last week, because Jim Acosta wasn't sort of saying this down the pub with his mates where he wouldn't be able to be held to account for making these counterfactual statements, he was saying it on probably the most watched clip now in the last three, four months. I mean, that, that altercation in the White House is probably the number one thing that's been watched anywhere in the world, and he outright lied. And, and I suppose for a lot of people, they, they, they want to know whether it was a knowing lie or whether he's just ignorant on this. I mean, wh- what do you think?
2: That is a very good question. I'm not sure if he's just kidding himself or deliberately misleading his audience for political reasons. It it sure appears to me that his desire to embarrass or discredit or undermine President Trump seems to take priority or get the best of any um, journalistic impulses that he may have, or mm. at least his, be trained in. Mm. Uh, I, I think that, that you know, that that's what he's interested in doing, you know, regardless of what the truth is, that he, he's there to grandstand and to make the president, or try to make the president look bad, mm. rather than report the news or ask a question.
3: I want to I uh, uh, play for you here, uh, Jessica, the... Uh clip from uh, president trump what he said and get your reaction to that uh mr producer let's play clip two please
5: the democrats have launched an assault on the sovereignty of our country the security of our nation and the safety of every single american the crisis on our border right now as we speak is the sole result of Democrat laws and activists, Democrat judges that prevent us from returning illegal aliens from Central America and all over the world. It's called catch and release.
3: Jessica Vaughan, Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Is 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 he on the money there?
2: Yes, he is actually. Um the 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 biggest problem is that there is a judge in California by the name of Judge Dolly Gee who has greatly restricted what the federal government can do in handling these cases of parents and kids who cross illegally, basically saying that, that that the government can never detain kids, or at least not for longer than 20 days, even if they arrive illegally with their parents. And even the Obama administration fought this judge over this interpretation of a settlement agreement that was reached years ago on how to treat kids who arrive by themselves at the border and how to um, look out for kids who may have been trafficked into the United States. Uh, And she has basically expanded this to cover anyone under the age of 18 who arrives at the border Either with their kid or with a smuggler, or, or excuse me, with their parent or with a smuggler, mm-hmm. and that is constraining the government. Um, the original law that that um, set up the parameters for dealing with unaccompanied minors was written by Democrats. Now it was signed into law by President George Bush, but it is fair to call it a Democratic law because mm-hmm. they wrote it. Um, But, you know, Republicans stupidly went along with it, never imagining that we would see this flood of people arriving with their kids because traditionally people have always come without their kids and left them behind.
3: Well, I will I will I will say this. I mean, I, I I don't think it's necessarily that those Republicans of that time didn't foresee this. I think they didn't care. They didn't quite understand, you know, that it was an attack on 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 national sovereignty and 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 it escaped them, and it escaped them because their priorities at the time were not, you know, the nation state and not uh, border security, and we hadn't started hearing of all the horror stories yet of 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 what illegal immigration was doing uh, to the United States. And and I want to ask you a, a couple of questions because um, I know we we're 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 limited on time here. I just wanted to ask two questions uh, to you, Jessica Vaughan. Number one, uh, in in your estimation, how many of started to arrive at that Tijuana border because you know the daily mail says 1500 um the nbc says 400 cnn saying negative 3 million um <laughs> how, what, at this point what is the what is the estimate of what's going on down there because because the the info seems a little bit um a little bit confused at the moment
2: one of my colleagues is reporting from texas and interviewing uh, his contacts um, in the U.S. military and uh, Texas law enforcement agencies, and he says there are 1,750 wow. who have arrived in Tijuana, which is about three times the capacity of the existing migrant shelters in Tijuana.
3: Wow. And, and as, a, as a sort of a, a, an aside to that, what, what do you foresee now happening? How do these people get uh, uh, dealt with, processed, Um, and, and, and other estimates, so is there historical averages of how many get let in?
2: Well, the caravan in the spring, pretty much everyone who applied for asylum was allowed into the United States to pursue that claim in immigration court. Um, a, a few of them were denied because of previous deportations or criminal history, but almost all of them were let in. Um, and What's going to happen here is that they're going to be told to sort of take a number, that they can't be allowed in to ask for asylum until uh, we have c- the capacity to process them, and that could take a very, very long time because there are already lots of people waiting. I mean, this this kind of slow-motion caravan of asylum seekers has been going on for at least a year with hundreds of people arriving at these ports of entry, so they're going to be um, processed very slowly. They're... I suspect that um, fewer of them will be let in than in the spring, because what we know is that only half the people who let in asking for asylum will actually fill out the asylum application form once we let them in. And half of them will not show up for their court hearings, and only 10% or so will ever be found qualified for asylum. What They don't want asylum. They want to get into the United States. And unless the Trump administration has come up with some... Uh, with better ways to apply the law for asylum seekers, then most of them are going to get in, but just at a slow pace. But but that's no comfort to the communities around the country that are, that are going to have to absorb these people who will right. basically join the illegal population.
3: And, and speaking of which, let's just clarify something quickly because you know you still see a lot of people using that 11 million figure. There are 11 million illegals in the United States. Some go, okay, yeah, fine, that was a couple of years ago. Maybe there are 13 or 14 uh, now. But actually, somebody said to me um, a few days ago, maybe even last night, that they were of the belief that it's more like 25 to 30 million. Where does the Center for um, uh, Immigration Studies fall on this? What are your estimates?
2: We estimate that there are about 12 million people here. Um, We use the uh, Census Bureau data to try to ascertain that and, and adjust for an undercount that we know happens. Uh, we haven't been able to corroborate that uh, the higher figures mm. through any any other methods like um, schools, hospitals, law enforcement, or any other way. It's impossible to really have an accurate count because you know it's just not gonna not not possible. But mm. the Census Bureau is pretty good at it because they send all sorts of um, staff out to encourage people to fill out the forms because local governments depend on accurate numbers to get certain kinds of funding from the, from the federal government. So we think it's close to accurate. $12 million is what we say.
3: Jessica Vaughan, the Center for Immigration Studies, Director of Policy Studies. Thank you so much for joining us here this evening on the Buck Sexton Show.
2: Thanks for having me.
3: There you go, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think? The phone lines are open, 844 2825 I am of the belief that the number is higher, uh, but Jessica is also a, a very, very uh, competent and well-known and well-respected expert. There was a uh, Yale Insights study uh, recently that uh, put the number between, uh, I think, 18 and, and 22 million. Um, but as Jessica says, there's there's census data and there's hospital data and there's school data I have something to say about it one is bad enough to maintain border security the nation should not tolerate one illegal immigrant my country has the same problem the United Kingdom has the same problem we, have, we seem to have this buffer we seem to have this ex- general acceptance that yeah there's going to be a certain number of people who have broken the law and that's fine I suppose this is this is the mentality that our governments operate. That there is not a right and wrong, that there is not a legal or illegal, but there is some sort of acceptable grey area. Think to yourself why? Why would we accept a grey area like that? We don't accept grey areas in murder cases or in rape cases or in theft cases, burglaries. Yeah, that guy kind of burgled your house. But he didn't really burgle your... Yeah, he took the TV. He left the DVD player. He, he left the stereo... So don't worry about it. There's a grey area. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We're going to go to a quick break. Back, hopefully more of your calls and much more. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back.
5: Radical Democrats want to turn back the clock. For the rule of corrupt power-hungry globalists. You know what a globalist is, right? You know what a globalist is. A globalist is a person that wants the globe to do well, frankly, not caring about our country so much. And you know what? We can't have that. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, OK? I'm a nationalist. Use that word.
3: President Trump there speaking a couple of weeks ago now about his nationalism, a word that sent the talking heads on your televisions into a big old frenzy. I wrote a piece for The Daily Caller uh, this week, yesterday, in fact, about nationalism, and about specifically why President Emmanuel Macron was mistaken in trying to use that armistice uh, 100-year anniversary commemoration to attack President Trump. In the article, which I've just tweeted, by the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Raheem Kassam. That's K-A-S-S-A-M. I wrote about... The resistance leader from the Second World War, General Charles de Gaulle, who went on to be President of France himself, he said in 1913, and I think this is a good phrase to deploy if ever you get accosted by globalists, he said, he who does not love his mother more than, his, more than other mothers, and his fatherland more than other fatherlands, loves neither his mother nor his fatherland. I want to get a response to that um, and, of course, the uh, the wider debate surrounding border security and sovereignty from another one of the great callers on the line. Rich is in West By God, Virginia. Richard, are you there?
6: West By God, Virginia, that's
3: right. Absolutely. That's right. Richard, take it away.
6: Uh, as far as, uh, I really love uh, uh, President Trump, a lot of the stuff he says about the immigrants. And he's saying that they're not all innocent people, There's a lot of them that are uh, degenerates, they're just, uh, they're criminals, and he just believes you ought to send them back, and these countries, these smaller countries who are sending them over, they need to do something, change the way their country is being run so they can keep them there instead of having to send them over here. It's just, I just like his attitude when it comes to that, and all kind of different things. I, I think he's doing a great job. I think he's probably the best president we
3: ever had. Well, isn't it, isn't it brilliant, actually, Richard, to say to those people, hey, look, if you want that country to get better, probably the best thing is not to leave that country. How, uh, can, to, how, can these nations, how can these nations improve? How can things get better? How can economies improve? How can innovations happen if you don't have the manpower, the people, capital, to do it? If you're best and brightest are being encouraged to move to other countries, Well, what happens? This is the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you, Richard, for the call. We'll be right back after another break. Welcome back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, filling in for Buck Sexton today, live from the Freedom Hut in a snowy and slushy Washington, D.C. The lines are open here. The phone number for you all out there. You want to get something off your chest. Do you have a question? Do you have a comment? Keep it clean. 844-900-2825. That's 844-900-BUCK. We've heard from a couple of callers already uh, across the show. I love the callers. The callers for me are the best part of the show. No offense to the guests and myself, um, but I'm more interested in what you have to say than what I have to say. Um, and, and you know, that's that's... I think the most important part of this this presidency as well here in the United States, I think the president does what he does um, because he's interested in in how people, ordinary, hardworking people who do the things that you guys do out there every day, how they want the country run. I've got a great guest uh, lined up for you for this segment as well, uh, Eric Eggers. He is a uh, he's a researcher and author from the Government Accountability Institute. Uh, he's the author of a new book called Fraud, and and you might know the Government Accountability Institute (GAI) and, and Eric uh, because of the uh, the Clinton Cash book and investigation uh, from just before the 2016 election. Uh, so I really wanted to have Eric on this evening, and I'm glad he could join us. Um, to discuss this new book, the subtitle of which is uh, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. And we've touched uh, so far in the first hour or so um, on voter fraud, on what's going on in Florida, and uh, President Trump channeling the views of ordinary people and saying, well, hold on a second. How does it take a week plus to count these ballots? Where are these ballot boxes disappearing to? Yeah, again, in any other part of life, if this were to happen, we wouldn't tolerate it. And we certainly, I don't think, should be tolerating it when it comes to something as sacrosanct as people's votes, as how you decide who governs a nation, who governs a state, even if it were the election of a dog catcher. We shouldn't tolerate something like this. And Matt Gates came out today and said... Well, actually, this is a warm-up act for the Democrat Party of America, who plan to steal the 2020 election by doing things like they're doing in Broward County. I want to bring on Eric Eggers now uh, to talk about this. Eric, good uh, good evening to you.
7: Hey, thanks, Raheem. It's, it's great to he- be here. But if, if it would be more interesting to you, I could just be Eric from Tallahassee that has an opinion about voter fraud.
3: That know. would be more interesting to me. <laughs> 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 Eric, um... <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with weather. It's just, it's in my blood. Um, uh, I bet it's not snowing and slushy down in Tallahassee.
7: It's not, man, but it's cold. Uh, it's incredibly on, cold now. here in, in North Florida. So um, it's, uh, we literally just turned the heat on today for the first time. Yeah, you Floridians, uh, you, get, you get
3: cold now. when it hits 70.
7: Listen, listen, <laughs> I will not stand for that, especially, you know, from somebody up in D.C. Listen, in North Florida, we have a hearty stock, and uh, it's at least in the 40s now. It's cold. So, uh, but yeah, it said, but it, but things are heating up as it relates to, uh, you know, the, the things that are happening uh, from an election standpoint, oh, obviously Florida's has been. What a great
3: segue, Eric.
7: Hey, you know, I, I worked in radio for a little bit. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's been, uh, it's been obviously a, a very contentious time, but, um, you know, I think we've just completed the machine recount here. And so actually just, and you may have covered this already, but Ron DeSantis is, has declared victory again and <laughs> sort of been, de, been declared the winner, uh, maintained a 33,000-vote margin. Rick Scott and Bill Nelson will head into a, a manual recount because they're still separated by less than the 0.25% threshold, which triggers a manual recount under Florida law. But it's, it's a great point you make, Raheem, about the things that Donald Trump has said. You know, He was criticized because of his tweet about people, or, or I guess somebody quoted him as saying that people go and vote, and then, and then they change clothes, and then they come back right. and vote again. And, and I don't have any evidence of that. I certainly don't have any stories like that in my book. But, uh, but what I do think is true, and I, I heard this great analysis about Donald Trump. and They said, look, people on the left take him literally, but oh, yeah. not seriously. Oh, yeah. And people on the right take him seriously, but not literally. And so yeah, while he literally may not be correct, uh, he could not be more serious in terms of the issue he raises. Uh, I mean, the reality is, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book, is that uh, American elections, and especially Florida's elections, are about as prone to be able to ward off attack as the U.S. men's national soccer team was today, right? So, that is to say, not very. Um,
3: <laughs> Remind me of America, uh, what happened in the soccer today, Eric.
7: Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not talk about it, Raheem. Three, three, th- is,
3: th- three nothing to England, I believe. Yeah, that's uh,
7: so, so, we know, I mean, we know.
3: Goals we as porous as your borders. System,
7: we we know in 2018 that illegal ballots were part of the florida vote house uh because brenda snipes the broward county supervisor of elections couldn't keep the illegal ballots separate from the legal ballots they got blended together and then rather than exclude all of them which would have Mm. been a disenfranchisement of a large number of legal votes uh they just decided to include some illegal votes as well but to donald trump's point there were 108 ballots in Miami-Dade County that were rejected because they were double votes. That is to say, they were they were ballots, the second ballot cast by someone mm-hmm. in that election cycle. Whether that means they cast an absentee ballot and then tried to show up and vote in person, or they voted in one precinct, and then tried to go up and, and vote in a different precinct, or what, whatever it was. You know, we don't have evidence of the the wardrobe change, but we do know that double voting attempts happen. In Miami-Dade, this cycle, in my book, I talk about the fact that there were over 2,100 instances of double votes in the state of Florida alone in wow. 2016, which is more than four times the margin of victory of a presidential election this century. So, uh, you know, I think that there's no doubt that illegal voting does occur, and we've seen it firsthand. And so, I, you know, I think if people, people always, often ask me, well, what, is it, what does it mean? What's the solution moving mm. forward? Uh, I think the good news is that we have a president that actually will speak about it and will raise the issue, because I think one one takeaway for me from this entire process is when you've got lawyers involved and you've got eyes on the ballots and eyes on the ground, you see how many different instances of shenanigans are are happening. I mean, lawyers for Bill Nelson and Andrew Gillum were on the record objecting to the exclusion or removal of non-citizen votes, which are illegal. But yet here are the Democrats saying, no, those should count. So, I mean, I, I think it's good that we see the reality of what happens in elections laid bare for all to see through this process.
3: Uh we're speaking with um Eric Eggers from the uh Government Accountability Institute. He's got a book that came out uh this summer. It's called Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. I uh I commend it to you all. Um Eric, in terms of what uh what Matt Gates said today about uh, about this being sort of a warm up act for the Democratic Party and I was watching CNN earlier today because I kind of hate myself, so I like, to, I like the self-flagellation and torture of, of That's having. That's I was watch.
7: watching the soccer match. Yeah,
3: well, there you go. Um, no, I couldn't. I couldn't revel in the, in, in the English victory today. I was, I was, had my eyes fixated on that, and 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 the Brexit stuff happening in the UK as well. Um, but they were laughing at Matt Gates on CNN. They were saying, you know, conspiracy theory. This doesn't happen. There's no problem certainly poo-pooing the idea that any form of lawsuit against, uh, uh, you know, from one side or the other, weren't sort of opportunistic and taking their chances at influencing the, the end result. But let's face it, that is where we are now. So so, so, how much do you think that Matt Gates was right, that Democrats are seeing what they can get away with, or have they always just been this way?
7: Yeah, I don't know that this is unique. Uh, maybe there, if there's anything that's unique here, It's the motivation level and this belief and the self-righteous belief, Mm. I think, by people on the left of the moral authority by which they're operating. Uh, I mean, heading into this election season, you know, nothing less than the impeachment of a president. And before the Kavanaugh hearings were concluded, this idea that, hey, we're going to block this Supreme Court justice
6: Mm. from
7: being confirmed. Uh, You know, we're going to expand health care for all. We're going to abolish ICE. We're going to abolish enforcement of immigration laws. So these are all things that are, that are not just political positions, but moral impediments. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, I think it's important to think through the motivation level. So if, if the people believe this strongly in what they're trying to make happen, then I think exploiting the very real vulnerabilities in American election systems doesn't seem like a stretch. You know, the, the larger point I, I try to make about the incompetence that we've seen in Broward County and Palm Beach County, and that's the word I use. You know, Representative Gates, I think, uh, has speculated as to the legitimacy of the 83,000 ballots in Broward County that have materialized. I've spoken to election experts that say, listen, that's just how they're doing it. it it's not fraud, it's just incompetence. But to me, the, the point is this if they're this bad at keeping track of and holding, and then performing the sophisticated mathematical technique known as counting, how bad do you think they are at preventing the illegal votes from being cast?
0: Mm-hmm. And
7: especially when you consider Brenda Snipes' track record of admitting that she's allowed illegal immigrants and felons to vote. And by the way, and this is the key point, Raheem, that she's admitted in previous court cases that it's, it, it's almost impossible to prevent because these voter registration drives, especially ahead of these big elections, you've got so many people being registered to vote, and the systems just aren't in place. Right to prevent or to, to perform the level of accuracy and verification to make sure that the people that are registering to vote are the people that are actually voting. So the sneering dismissiveness by the elite media of people like Matt Gates, I think it's important to know this. They think they're right because they've been told by groups like the Brennan Center and these paid and bought for legal entities that are affiliated with George Soros, who define voter fraud in the narrowest possible terms. They define it only in the underinclusive way of an, an act of impersonation by an illegal voter on behalf of a legal voter. When I think the reality is, is that most people would say anything that devalues the true weight of an honest vote. That's voter fraud, yep. and a lot of stuff like that happens. And the worst part of it is, it's legal. So, uh, so I do think that uh, Representative Gates is correct to uh, foreshadow what's happening, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. And I think, unfortunately, it's one of the reasons why the books doing as well as it is, because what's happened in the last week and a half has said, oh, uh, this is actually a real thing, and this can happen.
3: Um, Eric Eggers, uh, the author of uh, Fraud, How the Left Plans to Till the Next Election. Just a final question for you before we let you go. Um, how um, how come the uh, the Voter Fraud Commission... I mean, just what what happened to that? That seemed like such a good idea, and it, it just lost its legs. And I know Chris Kobach was running for, for you know his own seat, but, but it seems like the administration got bullied out of 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 doing that.
7: That's well, a, a great word to use, bullied, uh, because they absolutely did. I mean, there are several issues, one of which was the laws, as they're written, I think prevented a true, it prevented the commission from doing the job it was set up to do. I mean, you look no further than the fact that Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State of Kansas, was legally prohibited from providing Chris Kobach, the vice chair on the <laughs> Presidential Commission on Election, Administ- Election Integrity, from the data that they were requesting. And so when you know Chris Kobach decided, well, maybe I'll give myself this data, they were sued 19 times by affiliated with George Soros, right? So they were sent, they were bullied by lawsuit out of existence. But the good news is is that I think the motivation to expose and inspect this issue is still there. It's just gone to a, an administrative level, right? Rather than maybe ministerial, if if that's, those terms are correct.
6: So mm-hmm. that's why you've got
7: now the Department of Homeland Security. They're taking it seriously. So you've seen people charged in North Carolina, you've seen people charged in Texas. So I think I think states that decide, listen, we're going to be serious about the accuracy and integrity of our election, they're finding uh, people to prosecute, and people are not being prosecuted and people are going to jail. So Eric,
3: you hope we, that... we have to leave it to. there. Eric, yeah. I'm afraid we're, we're up against a break here. We have to leave it there. But I'm so glad you could join us today. We've got a lot of people being very complimentary about the guests on this show today, and I'm, I'm so glad you're one of them because that's a lot of... Fantastic information. You can find out more in Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. Eric, thank you again.
7: Thanks. My pleasure, Raheem.
3: This is The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. Filling in for Mr. Sexton. We are in the Freedom Hut in Washington, D.C., coming back to you guys on the phone lines now 844 900 2825. 844 900 Buck got gene in wisconsin on the line gene good evening
6: hi rahim thanks for taking my call hey um can you hear me okay
3: absolutely go right ahead
6: okay so here's the thing i i'm nobody but even i can see that this is a swamp issue and we have to control the swamp Mm. and uh so this should have been added into the uh the children's book that that fellow was talking about earlier Mm. but uh why, why are we paying this Brenda Snipes 100, uh, over 100, $150,000, 175000 a year to, to be a, a mess-up? I don't know why we're paying her that. Why don't we hire an independent and uh, in, in a bonded accounting firm, since that's what they do is count and have them administer the the, the, uh, the voting? I mean, why do we keep paying the swamp to swamp us? Yeah. <laughs> do, you please, do me a favor? Would you please mention this to Buck and and really talk about yeah. it? Because you guys are you know at a at a higher level and
3: Gene, it's a it's it's a very good it's a very good question. It is it is a very good question. I have I have a, somewhat of an opinion on this and somewhat of an answer on it. There are there are a lot of now verification processes, um, you know, uh, uh, scanners, lots of things that are being deployed and that are you know some of them are being trialed and some work and some don't. Um, some of them are using external firms to make sure that this happens. Some, again, as you say, are doing it with these swamp-like creatures in charge of the uh, uh, final audits. Uh, but I would say this as well. Be be very careful uh, about what you wish for in this scenario because do remember that a lot of these same sort of financial firms and auditing firms and, and, and those types were the same type of people who were responsible for the 2008 financial crisis. You know, the... the, the, the sort of swamp of the finance world is very, very similar to the swamp of the political world. The KPMG recently firing uh, people over ethics breaches, PWC now investigating uh, ethics breaches and and allegations of fraud uh, under its purview. So, you you know, be, be very careful what you wish for in that regard, because at least with the people like Brenda Snipes, she's known we can hold her to account somewhat. We can at least make her very, very famous for these sorts of failings. But when you put the put elections in the hands of sort of, you know, faceless auditors behind, you know, whether they're independent or whether they're government mandated firms in this regard, be very, very careful about that, Gene. Uh, but I do appreciate the call. And I will mention, as you say, to Buck uh, that this needs this needs much more in terms of uh, in terms of scrutiny. Uh, this is uh, Raheem Kassam on the Buck Sexton show. End of the second hour. Where does the time go? The phone number 844 900 2825 900 Buck will be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam covering for Buck Sexton today. Lots of uh, lots of topics to hit. We've hit so many already. At the time always goes very, very quickly. You think about it all day. You think I'm going to be sitting in there for three hours. It's going to go really slowly. I'm going to have loads of time. And then before you know it, you're getting unceremoniously turfed out of the building. Your time's up. You've had your shot. And there's just, you know, the news cycle, especially when, when you sort of take an international view of it, is just completely and totally all engulfing right now. In the last couple of hours, John Kasich in New Hampshire saying all options are on the table when it comes to challenging President Donald J. Trump for the White House in 2020. Yes, it made me laugh also, but it does make you realize that no matter what this president does, no matter how good the economy is, he, when he's being bipartisan and doing criminal justice reform, when he's sending troops down to the border to defend the nation state sovereignty, when he's giving these tax cuts that are very, very popular with the GOP's, Donor class. You know, nothing is enough for the RNC's establishment. Here you have a bought and paid for member of it, John Kasich, saying that uh, he doesn't know what he's going to do yet in 2020. He may well run against President Trump. Imbecilic, I say. Now, in the first hour of the show, we did a little bit of chat about the Brexit uh, machinations That are taking place in the United Kingdom at the moment. I promised you uh, a guest from the UK, the chairman of the oldest conservative think tank in the country, uh, got tied up a little bit during a speech at Oxford University, but I'm delighted to say is joining us now. uh, Ben Harris-Quinney joins us on the line to dissect uh, what exactly took place in Britain today. Seems like there was a spate of cabinet resignations um, and, uh, and and really leaving the Prime Minister a bit high and dry. And and, and it matters, and we get that it matters uh, to you guys over here, because it matters as to whether or not we do a free trade deal with the United States. I mean, remember, uh, we may be a small landmass, but we are not a small economy. Um, you know, a, a, a three trillion uh, GDP uh, economy, a uh, massive, massive importer uh, from the United States already, uh, and indeed a massive exporter to the United States already, a G7 uh, country, one of the biggest and, and one of the ones that is uh, growing uh, rather than shrinking like the Eurozone nations are. Ben Harris-Quinney, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show.
9: Thank you very much, Ray.
3: Uh, so Ben, d- walk us through a little bit of uh, what happened today. Was this was this out of the blue? Did people see this coming? Uh, what are the implications uh, for Brexit as a process for the Prime Minister in and of herself um, and indeed for uh the the fact that we were supposed to be britain was supposed to be at the front of the queue according to president trump for one of these trade deals that he is also so keen to close
9: well it's it's the gordian knots uh for britain leaving the european union it's in, in intensely complex but the best way i could describe it to an american audience is the situation in the uk is as if john Kasich was president surrounded by Trump supporters. We have this bizarre situation where Theresa May, a Remain supporter, uh, by hook or by crook, ended up as Prime Minister without a vote taking place. And she's been essentially delivering a version of Brexit that would keep us in the European Union. Uh, And the game is finally up. We called for her to resign uh, yesterday after canvassing uh, many members of, of Parliament on the issue. And finally... British people, as you, your listeners will have learned with me being an hour late, are always slow to act, <laughs> but they have finally acted. Um, and the true believing Conservatives, the, the Brexit supporters, the, the, the people in the Conservative Party that would be likely to support Donald Trump in a trade deal with the United States have finally taken action. Uh, and they've submitted their letters of no confidence in, in Theresa May, and she will now face... Uh, a leadership election, which will be something equivalent to um, what Americans would uh, would experience with a primary election, uh, except not uh, necessarily before uh, a general election. And all that is going to take place before March 29th, uh, where we are scheduled to leave the European Union, and in theory, we need all our ducks in a row by then. So, um, unfortunately, uh, from Donald Trump's point of view, He's willing to put us at the
3: front of the queue, but we haven't even arrived at the queue yet. Well, uh, sounds like a bit of a mess. Um, the Conservative Party is a party of government in the United Kingdom. People should know uh, that it is very, very scarcely ever conservative in its uh, in its policies or, or, or in its positions. Uh, what does it bode for, for them? And does this mean that you might have a hardline socialist, the equivalent of you know, the, the the love child of Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, chap called Jeremy Corbyn who leads the Labour Party, does it give him an in to the keys to Downing Street?
9: It potentially does. Um, there is certainly a scenario whereby this all leads to um, a general election, and if we're putting up candidates of the calibre of, of Theresa May, then she could certainly lose to a figure like Corbyn. Um, it's, it's a big risk and we didn't call for her resignation lightly, although as you say, we are a conservative organization and the conservative party hasn't really been conservative since Thatcher. So we were never her biggest supporter, but we do, we do realize that there is a great risk inherent in this. But because of uh, how bad her deal was, and particularly because, and this will seem very bizarre to Americans, it locked us into a deal. That, according to the wording of it, would not allow Britain to ever, ever change that deal or pull out of it without the consent of the European Union. So <laughs> we would, we would be locked to that deal. And I think because of that, it, it has been worth taking the risk uh, to force a leadership election and get someone in that will give us the, the Brexit deal that the British public voted for. Uh,
3: now let's let's just finally relate this. Uh for uh, uh, Americans, because of course there are a lot of people in this country, uh, in the United States, where I am right now, who um, who understand and who take the view that that Brexit was actually part and parcel of President Trump's election. That that without yeah. the June the twenty third vote in two thousand and sixteen in the United Kingdom, that a lot of Americans uh, saw and and celebrated. That they may have not had the, the the gumption to get to that ballot box and and do what they did, uh, that without sort of people like Nigel Farage going down to Jackson, uh, Mississippi, uh, to canvass on behalf of President Trump and doing a lot of the television interviews on the run up to that election and communicating with ordinary Americans as to why they were draining the swamp uh, in the UK as well. Um, you know, 2016 may have gone very, very differently. And while Donald is draining the swamp uh, in the United States, and perhaps not as quickly as a lot of people would like, and perhaps that wall isn't being built as quickly as a lot of people would like, but while at least the victory meant executive authority in the United States, it did no such thing in Britain, right?
9: No, that's absolutely right. I mean, both both movements were... The movements of the people against the establishment, um, but this throwing off of centrist politics and, and, and liberalism that has been in spite of, of the people of both America and the United Kingdom and against their uh, views and values for so long. So they're similar in that sense. But as you say, and as Nigel Farage says, Uh, upon Donald Trump's election. The difference is that an American revolution can be completed in one electoral cycle. In Britain, it takes 20 or 30 years. And they still don't get it, even after everything that's happened, even after the clear message that the British people have sent that they don't want business as usual. They want to get rid of this old, tired, and decrepit class of, of politicians. Theresa May is still banging that old drum against you know, all of the advice of of now the entirety of of, of Parliament, including opposition parties. So unfortunately, our political system is is chaotic, and I'm a great believer in the American political system for its faults, uh, because it puts the American people uh, in charge. What we're now trying to run is a rearguard action, despite the fact we've already won. So we're we're trying to, via other means than, than direct democracy, and put pressure to see the decision of the British people implemented. And that's been a very hard road over the last two years. And I know figures like Nigel Farage are absolutely beside themselves in in the efforts that they've exerted um, for, for, for their entire careers to get to this point, um, only to have uh, defeat potentially um snatched from the from the jaws of victory because mm. uh, we we've won the argument but all the wrong people are still in power
3: ben harris quinney uh, the chairman of the bow group thank you so much for joining us here i know it's late there and you have an early morning flight um so really grateful you can find out more about the bow group at uh, org. i believe is that right that is right absolutely so org, ladies and gentlemen Thank you again to Ben. The phone lines are open 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. I want to hear from as many of you in this hour as possible, so uh, get on those lines. Uh, we're obviously talking about uh, nationalism, national sovereignty, uh, the difference between uh, globalism and nationalism, I think, escapes a lot of people. Uh, I have been touting my uh, my Daily Caller article from yesterday yesterday. Um, over and over again across this uh, across this three hour show, um, I uh, you can find it on my Twitter feed um, that that what's going on in the United Kingdom, what you just heard, is I mean we try obviously to relate it to an American audience. Uh, I'm not here to try and bore you with the politics of foreign countries, uh, but the two movements, the Trump movement and the Brexit movement, are so inextricably linked. Uh, and, and, and we share the same values, and we share the same uh, uh, wishes for our own nations, um, that I think it's, it, it bears repeating, and it bears consideration, especially given what happened in the midterm elections. Our movement got transfigured from a rebellion from taking back control, you know, you had make America great again. And we had, we want our country back. You know, there's, there's a sort of nationalistic, sovereignistic nostalgia that both of these things were based off. And ours got hijacked by the political establishment and turned into the precise thing that it was the antithesis of. It got turned into a bureaucratic process. It got turned into the administrative state's plaything. And I fear that right now, especially after these midterms, especially with Nancy Pelosi potentially as the House Majority Leader, that this administration's aims and goals are themselves going to be turned into a nightmarish, bureaucratic, administrative state-like process. And that's the thing to consider when comparing and contrasting these two things. Our fates are so intrinsically linked that one cannot be viewed without the other. This is the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam. I'm covering for Buck today here in Washington, D.C. And we're going to be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam filling in for Buck Sexton today. The phone lines are open 844 that's eight four four nine hundred buck I want to get some more callers. Steve is in Massachusetts on the line now. Steve, good evening.
10: Uh, good evening. How are you? Um, one of the weird things about illegal immigration, that's actually a symptom of a far greater problem. What illegal immigration actually does, it's an anarchy way of destroying the national sovereignty of nations and getting them to into like this guilt trip because they can't think of a logical argument against it. It's like guilt tripping people into destroying, letting their own national sovereignty being destroyed. Um, in America, there's a classic example of it because you have cities and towns fighting against counties, counties fighting against states, states fighting the federal government. It's like anarchy and uh it creates a lot of conflict, but the, that's the real issue. Um, I, I kind of get frustrated when people talk about illegal immigration because that's kind of like a diversion. The destruction of national sovereignty is really what worries me.
3: Oh, I completely agree with you. It is, it is just a symptom. Illegal immigration is just a symptom of the erosion of national sovereignty of borders of the nation-state. That's why I wrote the article I did yesterday. Steve, tell me, what is, in your opinion, the point why would anybody want to attack the nation state like that?
10: Well, basically, I well it there, there's a couple of philosophies. One is called social libertarianism. In other words, you can travel from city to city, state to state, and then they expand it into country to country. It's like an anarchy form of, uh, well, and it's also tied in with that open borders thing. And, and I think it also dovetails into like, um, you know, the, the whole revolutionary aspect of destabilizing a nation to set it up for a socialist revolution. It, it's almost like, you know, the indoctrination phase is complete. So let's go straight into destabilizing the nation.
3: And what is it? What is the other part of it?
10: Um, that is basically it. I'm, I'm just curious. Um, you, you, you sound pretty well read. Have you ever heard of a guy named Yuri Bezmanov? He was a KGB defector in the 80s, and he basically explained the Soviet strategy for destroying it as a four-step process for destabilizing and destroying a nation.
3: I, with indoctrination. I remember. I I remember reading about that several years ago. You know, the the it, it's interesting. With, with the cultural Marxism, uh, with all of that that had happened, and 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 frankly, as much as we now know about what was going on in both the United States and in Western Europe, in terms of the, 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 the uh, you know, whether it's the LGBT stuff or whether it was the illegal immigration stuff, as much as we now know, we still have a situation where the ordinary person out there is so easily dragged along by the the propaganda they get at school, the propaganda you see at university, or the propaganda you get in the news media. Steve, how do we fix that?
10: Um, well, definitely with education. People have to get over their guilt because what happens, what the left does is they'll create an argument, a complex argument. And because and a lot of times, when if I don't have a rational argument, for uh uh, against something you know the tendency is to go along with it but my solution from a united states standpoint is to read up on the federalist papers to read up on national sovereignty read up on the constitution and basically uh, we we as a nation we we need to re-familiarize ourselves of why we went from the articles of confederation to a strong federal government
3: absolutely i completely agree with you you know steve i'm a i'm a fellow at a, a group called the claremont institute and the Claremont Institute put out. I mean, they they do all the sorts of publications. They have a journal every quarter. And I'll tell you, for me, especially as somebody for, who who wasn't born um, in the United States and who didn't even get a cursory education, maybe that helps nowadays. I don't know. In in U.S. history, um, the Claremont Review of Books is is an uh, it's just the best source you could possibly imagine for the for the as you say. the arguments that came out of the Federalist Papers and so on and so forth. So I commend that to you. And Steve, thank you so much for the excellent call here this uh, this evening on the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, we came to work. I know I'm not getting asylum because they don't give you asylum for hunger, said Carlos Jose Romero who's on the migrant caravan. That is a quote from the Guardian that came out today admitting that this is economic migration, not asylum seekers. Hmm? This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. Right back after this break. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam here filling in for Buck Sexton. Invaded the Freedom Hut this evening and I intend to burn it to the ground when I leave. No, I shouldn't say that. Somebody will take me seriously. Um, The phone lines are open. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, I know we've jumped around a bit this evening, but everything is so intertwined at the moment, whether it's Jim Acosta on migrant caravans or Jim Acosta and CNN suing the White House for banning Jim Acosta. Basically, Jim Acosta is the news right now, and that's what Jim Acosta wanted. Jim Acosta, when Jim Acosta stands up and talks about Jim Acosta, he wants us to talk about Jim Acosta. So we're talking about Jim Acosta. That's a lot of Jim Acosta. (laughs) It's too much. Eddie Jim Acosta is too much Jim Acosta. But there is an interesting development in this case. Um, the, uh, the CEO of the, uh, the One American News Network tweeted out earlier today uh, that they were going to file uh, in the CNN versus the White House uh, court uh, trial, whatever it is, an amicus brief that is a stakeholder submission, effectively, in favor of the White House. And the reason that's interesting is because everyone else I think including Fox News, has filed an amicus brief in favor of CNN. So uh, we have the president of the uh, One American News Network joining us on the line now, Charles Herring. Thank you so much for your time this evening, sir. My pleasure. Hey, Charles, uh, tell us, uh, you stand out amongst the crowd uh, of those supporting CNN in their endeavor to litigate one person's access to the white house because let's face it CNN has other people with access so this is just again about jim acosta himself this is not about the free press as far as i'm concerned uh but tell us uh one american news which i think is fantastic and and i and i go on there with your with your great hosts and interviewers a lot um how did you come to this decision and 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 what does it mean
1: Well, we came to this decision a long time ago. Uh, I've been in the briefing room a number of times uh, in the back of the briefing room uh, with our reporters uh, sitting in the uh, briefing room asking questions. And I've seen just too many times where Mr. Acosta uh, wants to grandstand, interrupt, and continue speaking when other reporters are called upon, including our own. Mm. And he's hindering other reporters from being able to ask meaningful questions. One thing that we all like about the briefing room and what we like about a free press is there's diversity in questions. And that doesn't happen when Jim Acosta wants to grandstand. And so I've had a problem with Jim Acosta, one specific individual, not CNN, Mm
6: -hmm. but with
1: Jim Acosta himself for his lack of professionalism in the briefing room. You know, um, one thing that I find very interesting is if somebody would have said to you, or anyone, uh, any individual of your audience, somebody was in the briefing room interrupting, uh, preventing other reporters from uh, asking questions, and you asked, who is that person? Just about everybody would say Jim Acosta.
6: Mm -hmm.
1: His behavior has been going on for too long, and CNN has done nothing about it. And obviously there's a reason for that, and we can all speculate that they like his behavior. And the White House Correspondents Association has done nothing about it. And finally, somebody has done something about it, the administration, and it's a big controversy. Frankly, I don't understand why it's a controversy. For me, it's a very simple issue. He's disruptive. He's unprofessional. He's tying up the the precious time for other reporters to ask meaningful questions of the president of the United States, and something needed to be done. So we're supportive of the administration.
3: The the White House uh, uh, Correspondents' Association that, that, that a lot of people don't realise how that's constituted. Um, it's it's got a board uh, and uh, it's people who are taken from across uh, the the media uh, pool. Effectively, you have uh, Sirius XM's correspondent as the president, ABC's White House correspondent as a vice president, NBC's uh, uh, senior White House producer as the secretary. Uh, it's, uh, the, the photographer of the New York Times as, as one of the board members, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, is is there real diversity in the White House Correspondents Association, or do they sort of fit in with, with the Jim Acosta style of doing things? That's why they are broadly supportive of what CNN's doing here.
1: Well, a couple of things that I do know. I've been speaking with other senior management of other media companies that have representatives mm. in the briefing room, and they have chairs. And I know where they stand. And many of them are supportive of the administration's actions. They're disappointed with how one reporter has been uh, conducting himself during the briefings. And so there is a silent group of individuals, of of media companies, uh, that are disappointed in Jim Acosta's behavior. Uh, Clearly, there's an issue with the White House Correspondents Association, and we saw that at the dinner this year. Mm. Um, A a number of people walked out. Clearly, uh, the board is not very diverse. And Mm. and look, we're trying to work within that organization to increase uh, the voices from all sides. But occasionally you do need to stand up. And I believe in self-regulation. And I think it's important for media uh, senior officials to stand up and, and call other people out when they think there's an issue and try to do it in an appropriate manner. Uh, And that's what we're doing here. Look, we, we don't have any issue with CNN. We don't have any issue with the questions of any reporter. We just want them to conduct themselves in a professional manner. And most importantly, don't hinder other journalists in the room. Frankly, I think that Jim thinks his opinion and his comments are more important than the other people in the room. And that's problematic for uh, freedom of press,
3: and as and as we found out today, uh, we're speaking with Charles Herring, the uh, the president of the One American News Network. As we found out today, Charles um, often very very misleading. Um, CNN uh, uh, has broadcast this clip so many times now, and it features Jim Acosta saying that there are not migrants at the U.S. border, uh, that they're not climbing walls at Tijuana, uh, that there aren't thousands of them, that there are only hundreds of them. Uh, and that they're eligible for asylum and that they're all mothers and children. And and we we've a lot of us have known this for a long time, that that was not true. But the video came out yesterday and it showed that a very significant number, in excess of 1,500, uh, I'm told, are now at the U.S. border and are climbing that border and are breaching the rules and know that they're not eligible for asylum and want to get in and disappear. And so the whole banana apple uh, standard that CNN set up for themselves, and if you guys haven't seen it, I think, I think I'm right in saying that One American News has a funny parody of that on, on your guys' YouTube channel. Um, you know, that that is also of, of grave concern because they're the ones, are they not, who are pointing the fingers at President Trump every day and screaming, Liar, Liar, pants on fire. Meanwhile, the most famous clip probably over the last year. Which is that one of Jim Acosta trying to tell President Trump off? Turns out to be fake news.
1: Well, what's clear is that if uh, viewers just look around, and they do, they're very, very smart, and they go to multiple sources for their news, and they'll see the red pickup trucks and the young gentlemen after young gentlemen getting in, and there are no families; it's all men. So we mm-hmm. we know why they're coming up. Uh, they've been interviewed by numerous people, including our own reporters, mm-hmm. uh, and we know that it's for economic reasons, um, a vast majority. And we know a vast majority are young men. Matter of fact, it's very difficult to find families. We know that. Other journalists know that, and it's been broadly reported. So if one media outlet wants to distort the facts, they can do that. That's the, we don't have a problem with that. Viewers can decide, and they're smart enough to figure out that there's other sources for legitimate news And I do believe, and I do the same thing, that viewers bounce around. They go from TV, from channel to channel. They go onto the Internet. They talk with friends, and they'll figure it out. We happen to have offices in San Diego, California. And today we had people down on the border. And I can tell you that there's a lot of people right up against the fence, crawling up on the fence. And we have the United States military, and we have border enforcement on the other side trying to figure out what they're doing, what their game plan is and where they're going with this. And there's Mm. other uh, print media that's making it clear that more buses are going to be unloaded with 1,500 to 2,000 people either tonight or in the morning. So they're amassing on the border in Mm. Tijuana, and what their plans are, we don't know. So we'll we'll figure it out, and your viewers will figure it out also. They're smart enough to to look around at the media sources, Mm. and they don't need to rely just on one media source such as CNN.
3: Well what I really like about what uh what one America does is is uh you know it's dedicated to news actually news reports um rather than you know hours and upon hours of opinion based programming and there's room for that uh but but what I really like about uh, about one american news charles is 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 the is the commitment um to to real reports about what's really going on and and as much as uh, a lot of your colleagues and staff uh, I consider friends. They, they never give me an easy ride when they're interviewing me. It's always, it's always with a straight bat. So kudos to you guys and your organization for doing what you do. Charles Herring, the president of the One America News Network, thank you for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh,
3: well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The, uh, the only news network right now standing up to Jim Acosta and standing up uh, to CNN's uh, lawsuit against the White House um, so you know by all means uh if you are impressed and in favor of that go ahead and uh, and and give them your support in the form of twitter follows and 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 network views and and so on and so forth because i can't i can 't commend them enough uh for the brave decision that they 've taken uh in standing up to that chap and I, I i know the frustration of not being called upon in a room full of journalists uh because there is some hoity toity bigger fish in the room who wants to flounce around like a diva for the cameras. I've seen it happen. Uh, I've been in my fair share of press briefings all over the world, in fact. Uh, and, and, you know, those of us who have worked for smaller organizations or less well-known organizations or alternative news networks uh, have problems asking questions that I think are actually more interesting. You know, that I think aren't just, oh, Mrs. Clinton, how come you so beautiful today? <laughs> you know, oh, Mr. Obama, what makes you so brilliant? Please share it with us. And, you know, some of us actually want to ask hard, interesting, pressing questions about things. And the likes of Jim Acosta just, just dominate, you know, the room, dominate the time. Um, and that is not, I mean, he is impeding press freedom, more so than President Trump or the administration, as far as I'm concerned, is. And that's why I wanted to uh, to bring on Charles Herring from the One American News Network to uh, to talk to us about what, uh, what OAN is doing. I know more and more people are watching uh, OAN now as well. Uh, we aired a, a, a film that I was uh, a part of called Trump at War, uh, and OAN were the first... Outlet to to run the whole film uh, there before the before the midterm election, sort of setting out the stall of the midterm elections. Very interesting uh, film, indeed. You can still catch it um, online on YouTube. Uh, yeah, and I think it was on Western Journal, Western Journalism as well. Um, all right, the phone lines still open, ladies and gentlemen. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. We're going to go to a quick break now. When we come back, um, hopefully more of your calls. And uh, a couple of things to wrap up, but we're coming to the end of the show, which is the saddest time for me, mostly because I love the sound of my own voice, but, <laughs> but also, I mean, really, there is so much news, and for a nerd like me, you know, more news the better. Uh, we'll be right back here on the Buck Sexton Show after this short break. Moments here this evening, I'm Raheem Kassam, have been your fill-in host for today. I, uh, I always like to get my thanks out of the way early in this last slot because otherwise as the end draws closer and I try and fit in more and more uh, I tend to forget so I want to just thank the uh, the excellent producers of this show for all their help today Uh, also I hope you agree with me the excellent guests we've had on over the course of the show and of course you guys the callers the listeners uh, most importantly um, because what's the point otherwise I'd just be talking to myself I could be staring in a mirror and talking to myself which you know I am prone to do from time to time but I'm glad tonight wasn't one of them. Just a couple of things to uh to close on tonight as we've covered a lot we've covered a lot of the voting uh fraud, a lot of the Jim Acosta stuff, Brexit, gosh, think about all the topics we've taken on today. Turns out Florida is now not going to use Broward County's recount tally uh after all of this. Uh, Because it was uploaded two minutes past the 3 p.m. Thursday deadline. So after all the cost and the expense and the agony for the voters of Florida, they're going to end up using those, uh, those recount totals. Anyway, a testament to how brilliant Brenda Snipes and the Democrats down there really are. And yet... And yet, ladies and gentlemen, there are states, there are areas, there are counties, there are regions that are turning purple. Even under this president, even under this economy, places turning purple. Arizona springing to mind. What is going on? What is with people's lack of logic, lack of brain power? How are they still voting for the crooked Democrats at this But I don't know. I, I got to go down there, I think, and, and figure it out. You know, I'm a big fan of Arizona. Prescott is a is a big favorite of mine. Um, so maybe I'll take a trip down there and start to figure some of this stuff out because it really baffles me. I wanted to pick up on something that Eric Eggers said earlier on as well that uh, we didn't get to get into, but I thought was a particularly astute point, mostly because I've been making it for a while. Um. It's that the left take Trump literally, but not seriously. And the right take Trump seriously, but not literally. Think about that. There is something in the right-wing mind at the moment, the conservative mind at the moment, that tends towards irony. The left used to love irony. Remember George Carlin? Bill Maher still has a sense of irony. But more or less, the rest of them let it go. They're literalists. They believe everything literally. They take everything at face value. They don't question. They don't ask. They're not curious. That's a great pity for them. But it's incumbent upon us, and I'm glad that Eric Metaxas, who we had earlier on today, does things like makes the books for the kids. The cultural war, the war for your heart as well as your mind, is raging right now, and Buck Sexton will be back to captain you again tomorrow. I've been Raheem Kassam. You've been great.